Well, good evening. I'm thankful for the uh, opportunity and uh, the privilege to be able to preach tonight in pastor's absence. I'm thankful that he's able to get away with family and be able to uh, spend time together, have some fun and some rest. And I'm thankful the, for the pastor that God has given us. I know we say that often, but I don't think we can say it enough. Amen. Thankful for our pastor. Thankful for his leadership, especially in the last year. Um, I'm thankful, thankful that God has uh, called him to be our under shepherd. I'd also like to thank all those who have uh, prayed for me and have expressed that through phone call or, or text today. And, and I greatly, greatly appreciate it. It's been such a blessing and an encouragement as I've studied and have prepared for this message. And I just can't thank you enough. Thank you so much. And church, I'd like to thank you for, um, praying for us as we've been on deputation the last year and eight months. Uh, it was always a blessing to be able to come home here and to be able to be around uh, fellow church members and people coming up to us saying that they've been praying for us. And um, it's been such a blessing and such an encouragement. And I can't thank you enough either for, for praying for us. And we, we had a tremendous time on deputation uh, we got to do a lot of things that we otherwise wouldn't be able to do. Uh, we got to go to the Grand Canyon twice, uh, go to the Petrified Forest and White Sands and uh, Hoover Dam. We got to do a lot of great things and a lot, had a lot of fun on deputation, but also able to meet wonderful, godly people and be in some amazing churches around this country. I don't know about you, but seeing the... the um, the situation our world is in, it's nice to know and it's a blessing to know that there's churches and Christians all over this country that still love the Lord and that still want to serve him with, his, with their lives. It's, it was awesome. I've learned a few things through our travels and if I could share just a few of those with you all tonight. I've learned, first of all, that God is the one that works on our behalf. He's the one that does it. He's the one that raised our support. He's the one that got us our meetings. And whenever I tried to do things on my own, it, it failed. But it was only by, by what God did for us, then, and it's only what he can do that we can succeed. But also learn that God is in total control. I mean, goodness gracious, uh, being on deputation when COVID first started and having to cancel two months of meetings and unsure what COVID even was and how long COVID would even uh, last and, and there was just so much doubt and, and honestly I was fearful that we'd even finish deputation. I thought this was it. I've been preparing all my life for deputation to get to the Philippines and a global pandemic happens and here, what am I going to do? But man, it was awesome to see that God is strong and he's able and that no matter what happens in our world, he's in total control. It's awesome. I've also learned the severity of the spiritual battle that we are in. Sometimes we can forget it or we can just take it for granted, but we are in a very severe spiritual battle. I can say that I've been attacked more in more ways than I ever thought was possible during deputation, but I'm thankful that despite our enemy, God is still in control and he gives strength to continue. I'm thankful for it. But also I learned learned tonight on deputation that, man, what a blessing it is to be a part of this church. Man, we are blessed here at Southwest. It's, we, we, this is a special place. 
And I'm thankful for it, man, just going around. It's not a knock on any other churches. It's just made me realize what a blessing it is to be a part of this church and what a blessing it is to be sent out from Southwest Baptist Church. Our financial report came in last week. Miss Jenny sent it to us. I want to thank Miss Jenny for everything that she does for us missionaries. She's a blessing. But our financial support came in last week, and officially we are at 100% after a year and eight months. And I can't praise God enough for that. And Lord willing, like Brother Perkle said, we've started our passport process. I mean, we submitted that for Carson. And Lord willing, we'll get that back in the next few weeks and we'll start a visa application. Please pray for us about that. Before, you didn't even need a visa to go in. You could just fly into the Philippines and they'd stamp your passport with a tourist visa right there at the gate. But now we have to apply for one. And so I just pray that just 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 pray with us that our visas would be approved and that we could leave, like Brother Purgle said, in sometime in uh, late August or early uh, September. Well, that's enough about me. Let's get into the message tonight. If you would, don't stand, but take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter number 33 tonight. Exodus chapter number 33. I want to give some background of what's happened in this book. Um, you can divide the book of Exodus up into two parts. Exodus chapter 1, verses, uh, chapter one through chapter number 18 would be the story of how God raised up Moses and how he sent the plagues to Egypt and how he brought the ch children of Israel out of Egypt and, and made Moses their leader. But then the second part of Exodus is Exodus chapter 19 through, through chapter 40. And this would be the covenant that God made with Israel at Mount, Mount Sinai. In chapter 19, we find that God is restoring his presence to mankind through the nation of Israel, and he enters into a covenant with them, which is contingent, contingent on, on Israel keeping God's commandments. That happens in chapter 19. Then God, Moses is with God in, in Mount Sinai, and God gives Moses the plans to build him a dwelling place. This would be the tabernacle. And this tabernacle would be the place where God and Israel can dwell together in peace. But as Moses is up there on the mount, the children of Israel are down below and they begin to get impatient and they, they uh, come to uh, Aaron and they ask Aaron to build them a calf so that they could manufacture God's presence with them. And so Aaron builds them a, calf, a golden calf and God knows what's going on below and he tells Moses that, you know what, because the nation of Israel has broken my covenant, I mean, that you just made a covenant with God. They, but because, I mean, just a few days later, they break the covenant that God, they made with God and that God made with them. And because of this, God says, Moses, I'm going to wipe them out and I'm going to restart with you. But Moses intercedes on behalf of the people and he reminds them of the covenant promise that God made with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. And God spares the people. Moses returns from Mount Sinai and he goes and carrying with him the two tables that God had written, the commandments. And when he sees the children of Israel playing and worshiping the golden calf, he casts down those tablets, those tables of stone, picturing the covenant that was broken. And he destroys the calf and he goes to Aaron and he says, what did the Israelites do? What did the people do to make you build this calf? 
And he says, I don't know, I just took the gold from them and I threw it in the fire and out came this golden calf. Good excuse. But Moses destroys the golden calf and he says this, who is on the Lord's side? And the Levites stand with Moses and the Levites go out and kill about 3,000 men. This all happens in chapter number 32. Moses then goes to God and he seeks atonement on behalf of Israel. And God spares the people again. Then God deals with their sins and sends them a plague. And this is when we get to chapter number 33. So if you would, please stand as we read this chapter, Exodus chapter 33. If you're there, just say amen. amen. Let's read. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart and go up hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it. And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. For I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. And when the people heard these evil tidings, they mourned. And no man did put on him his ornaments. For the Lord had said unto Moses, Say unto the children of Israel, Ye are a stiff-necked people, and it will come up in the midst of thee in a moment and consume thee. Therefore now put off thy ornaments from thee, that I may know what to do with thee. The children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by the Mount Horeb. And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out into the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. And it came to pass when Moses went out into the tabernacle that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. And as the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door, all the people rose up and worshipped, and every man in his tent. The Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore, if I, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us up not hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight and I know thee by name. 
And he said, I beseech thee, show me my, thy glory. And he said, I will make all thy goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass, while my glory passes by, that I will put thee in the cliff of the rock, and I will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away my hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Tonight I'd like to preach a message entitled this. The rest that comes when you seek God's presence. The rest that comes when you seek God's presence. Subtitle, The Danger of Continuing Your Journey without God. The danger of continuing your journey without God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to bow before you, Lord, and to assemble in your house. And thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace in our lives. And I pray, Lord, as we take the next few minutes to dive into this passage, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts Lord, that you'd help us to be hearers of your word tonight, that we'd find application in the message tonight, but then also, Lord, that we'd, do, that we'd be doers of your word and apply it to our lives. And Lord, I'll give you the praise and honor for everything that's done tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. Let me start this introduction off by saying I'm not a bad driver. I promise I'm not a bad driver. Um, my wife can testify to the fact that I take very good care of my vehicles, especially as we've driven thousands and thousands of miles on, on them. Um, and, I, and I'm a good driver. She'll testify to that. Right, babe? Amen. Good answer. I will admit that I'm an aggressive driver, but that doesn't mean I'm a bad driver. It just means I'm efficient. That's what I think. Landy? Yeah? Amen. You got to get there before the time says on the GPS. Oh. And let me say that I've never scraped up any of my cars. And I've never caused an accident. I'm proud of that. Amen. Never got a ticket, a speeding ticket, I should say. But in 2018, we were in the Philippines serving our uh, internship there as part of our internship here. You saw it got to serve on on the field that you're going to. And so we were in the Philippines for three months working alongside my parents there, the ministry there. And it was a wonderful time for our family. We had a great time of serving alongside my parents and serving alongside the Filipino people there. And uh, just experiencing how life is as a family on a foreign field. Of course, it's home to me. But being there as a leader of the home, as a husband and as a father, it, it, it changes things. And so it was a good time for us. It was a growing time for us. My dad had a black 2018 Toyota Fortuner, which would be similar to a Toyota Highlander here. And it was his baby. I mean, it had a three-liter uh, three 2KD FTV diesel engine in it. And it was the nicest car that he ever owned. And like I said, it was his baby. I mean, he took care of it. One day, Dad uh, allowed me to drive my sister 
to a piano lesson that was across town. He let me use his car, and I was, of course, happy to drive it. I, I thought it was pretty cool, too. And uh, we got there safely, amen. Now, you must, must know that driving in the Philippines isn't driving here in the United States. It's totally different. You risk your life every time you drive there in the Philippines. But we made it to the, to the piano lessons, and I waited for my sister as she went in and had her piano lessons. And on the way back, I decided that I wanted to go to a store that was inside this little subdivision. And the, the, the roads in the Philippines are already narrow, but when you go into a subdivision, it gets even narrower. So I wanted to go to this store that was in the back of this subdivision, and we made it there. And, you know, I, I went inside the store, looked at a few things. But on our way out, there was this corner, this turn, this right-hand turn I had to make, and it was quite narrow. And as I was making this turn, there was another car that was, was coming this way, and I'm making this turn, and it's coming this way. And so I really had to make a sharp turn. I mean, really sharp turn not to hit this car. And I didn't realize that there was this huge bush that was on the corner of that turn there. And when I made that sharp turn, I scraped the whole passenger side of dad's car with that bush. I remember thinking, I messed up big time. Dad's never going to let me drive this car again. So all the way back home, I'm rehearsing in my mind. You know what it is. Rehearsing in my mind how I'm going to tell this story to dad when I get home. Praise the Lord. It wasn't a deep scratch. It could be buffed out. And I paid to get it buffed out. And it was brand new. It was good. It was good. However, a few days later, dad let me borrow his car again. And I didn't realize that dad had parked his car near this post that was outside the church building. And it was a post about this far off the ground, about two feet. And that post was there because before it was, it, it, that, that, that post that stuck out of the ground was about two feet tall and it had a little hook on the side, the top of that post. And it was where the barb wire would go through to keep, you know, like dogs and animals out of the fl flower uh, a bed there that's outside the church. And, and that barbed wire was no longer there, but that post was still there. And I didn't realize that dad parked really close to it because the streets are narrow. You park too far out, you're going to get hit by another car. So he parked real close to it. But me and my friend, we're going to go get some coffee. We we're going to Starbucks to get some coffee and we were excited. And so I asked dad to borrow his car and me and my friend were running out there. We jumped into the car. I turned that baby on. I put it in drive and I began to give it some gas. And it started to move a little bit, but then there was a sudden jerk. And I remember looking at my friend with a face of, oh, no. We got out of the car and went around the side. And that little post with that hook on it had caught the front fender of dad's car and had tore right into it. It couldn't be buffed out. This was bad. And I remember thinking, Oh, I did it now. I messed up big time. I remember feeling regret, fear, mourning, <laughs> despair, 
thinking, how in the world am I, am I going to tell dad about this? How am I going to get myself out of this? And if I told him, I'd probably lose the privilege of driving his car that I so desperately wanted and desired. I'd lose it. I knew I would. Have you ever experienced a feeling like this? Maybe you did something that you messed up big time. I mean, you messed it up. You blew it. Feeling of shame, regret, the mourning that comes with the big mistake that you made. I'm sure each of us have had some. We could probably go around and tell stories of things that we did that we messed up big time. And because we messed up, we'd probably lose this certain privilege that we were enjoying. This is what the nation of Israel was experiencing in Exodus chapter 33. They had messed up big time. Big time. They'd just broken the covenant that they made with God just a few days ago. And now they're experiencing this shame, this guilt, this regret that came due to their own actions. And with this judgment that they would receive, it would come with the loss of privilege, a privilege that they once enjoyed and so desperately desired and even tried to manufacture, but because of their deeds, they now will lose this privilege. And this privilege was this, that, that they were gonna to have to continue their journey without God. Because God's presence was this privilege that they so desperately desired and so desperately wanted that they even tried to manufacture it. And because of their wicked deeds, they're now going to have to continue their journey without his presence. See, in verse number one, God commands Moses and he says, Moses, I want you to continue your journey to the promised land. I want you to continue, but I'm not going to go with you. Look at it, verse number one. The Lord said unto Moses, Depart and go up hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it. And I'll send an angel before thee, and I'll drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite, unto the land flowing with milk and honey. For I will not go up in the midst of thee. They're going to have to continue their journey without God. Yes, he's still going to bring them to the promised land. He's, he promised that, that he was going to bring them to there. And he was going to send an angel to go before them. But they were going to have to make this journey without God being with them. And God had to do this because he said that Israel was a stiff-necked people. They were a hard people. But you know what? Even though... Uh, uh, really what the nation of Israel deserved was to be removed because they broke God's promise. God shouldn't have had to remove himself. Really, he would be uh, right and he would be just to remove them instead of him removing himself. But this is actually an act of mercy and an act of grace on God's part because he wasn't going to consume them. And so because he couldn't dwell with them because of their sin, because if he was with them, he would consume them because he's a holy and righteous God. So instead of consuming them, he, he, he acts in mercy and in grace and saying, you know what? I'm going to remove myself from your presence. 
This is significant because God told them that he would personally be with them and he would personally deliver them into the promised land. And now he's revoking that. Now he's saying, no, you're going to continue. And because of your wicked deeds, you forfeited the right to my presence being with you. And now they have to face a journey without God's presence. Because God's not going to abide where sin is present. He's not going to do it. Because God is a righteous, holy God. He can't abide where sin is present. He can't do it. He won't. He's not like us human beings who sometimes will, will look over or will wink at sin or sometimes sweep it under the rug. God couldn't do that. And because the nation of Israel had broken the commandment they made with God, they had re and they rejected them and they created this golden calf and, and they worshipped them, God could not be with them. I like what Brother Gaddis said when he preached this message. He said this, where sin is present, God is absent. Where sin is present, God is absent because God takes sin seriously. He takes sin seriously. He doesn't weaken sin. He doesn't sweep it under the rug. And because Israel's sin was very serious, God's judgment was to remove himself from them. When the people hear of God's judgment... They hear the news that they're going to have to continue without God's presence. They begin to mourn. Look at verse number four. And when the people heard these evil tidings, they mourned. This would be deep despair. And no man did put on his ornaments. The Israelites I believe, realized the severity of their actions. They realized the sin that they had committed and they were in deep despair. They were mourning because they tried to manufacture God's presence by creating this golden calf. But now because of that wicked deed, they're now going to have to continue without the presence they'd so desperately desired. So they mourn, they take off their ornaments. Ornaments would be jewelry or, or festive fine clothing and and they took it off and they probably wore sackcloth and ashes. I don't know, uh, but they were in mourning. And because this wasn't a time of festivities, this was a time of grief. It was serious. I think we see here that, that the nation of Israel were repentant. Because I believe that true repentance brings mourning. It does. It brings mourning. When, you, when you're truly repentant and you realize the severity of your sin, you're not, going to you're not going to say, I'm sorry, and continue in that behavior. No, no, but true repentance brings mourning and brings an understanding of what you did. And because of that, it's a change of behavior. And I believe we see that in these verses that Israel truly was repentant. We find in verse number seven that God has Moses remove the tent of the tabernacle outside the camp. He actually says, afar off from the camp. Now, I must explain that this isn't the tabernacle that God instructed Moses to build earlier on in the chapter, in, in the book. This, is the, this isn't that tabernacle because it hasn't been built yet. This is a temporary meeting place where God could meet with his people, where God could meet with Moses and where Moses could go to meet with God. This was a symbol of God's judgment because, uh, but it was also a symbol of God's grace because yes, God removed himself from, from Israel and from the people because they have sinned, but he didn't abandon them. 
It's a picture of grace. Yes, God's presence was no longer in the midst of them. It was outside the camp. It said it, it just wasn't outside the camp. It was afar off from the camp. But this is a picture of grace because God could have abandoned them. He could have said, you know what? You messed up. I'm going to wipe you out or I'm going to abandon you. I'm going to leave you to yourself and I'm going to start off with Moses. But he didn't. He, he, he had Moses remove the tent outside the camp. And it was still a picture that even though Israel sinned, they still had access to God. They still could have the, the, the access and they could still meet with God and Moses could still meet with God. It was, a, it was a symbol of grace. Yes, it was a symbol of judgment, but it was also a symbol of grace. Because God's still accessible even though you've sinned, friend. Even though they sinned, God didn't abandon them. He was still accessible. And friend, I'm telling you now, when we sin, God's still accessible. He can, he can, he, we still have access to him because he doesn't abandon us, but he also deals with sin. The Bible says that Moses would go into the tent, this tabernacle, and he would meet with God and the people would watch as Moses goes into this tent to meet with God. They would stand, the Bible says they stand at the door of the tent They'd watch Moses, and when Moses went into the tent, the, the cloudy pillar descended, and God met with Moses. And when the people saw God in the cloudy pillar, what did they, what did they begin to do? They began to bow, and they began to worship. Just another sign, they truly were repentant. They bow and worship God. And the Bible says something amazing, that God spoke with Moses face to face. Like he would a friend. What a testimony of Moses' intimate relationship with God. He spoke to God face to face. And that doesn't mean that he actually saw God's face. It's just showing how intimate of a relationship Moses had with God. And he would go to the tent and he would speak with God there. But because Moses had this intimate relationship with God, it leads us uh, uh, to his appeal to God in verses number 12 through 17. We see this. Look at verse number 12. Because Moses had this sweet relationship with God, he comes before God. Look at verse number 12. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. What is, what is Moses asking here? Uh, Moses is asking God, Lord, you said you'd send an angel before me, but who are you going to send with me? This, this burden to bear of, of leading the nation of Israel on their journey is too hard for Moses to bear. And he says, God, who are you going to send with me? I know you'll send the angel before, but who are you going to send with me? I mean, didn't you say that, you, that I found grace in your sight? Didn't you say that, that you know me by name? That's the, the personal relationship that Moses had with God. And he's saying, uh, Moses, I believe, is asking God that, that, you know, you're going to send that angel before him, but who are you going to send with me? Because he realized that sending someone before you and sending somebody with you is totally different. There's a big difference between that. I'm sure all of us, you know, traveling, going to different churches, uh, we, you know, uh, go out to eat with the pastor after uh, the morning service or the evening service. And, you know, he always says, uh, you know, 
um, follow me, follow my car. I'll, I'll show you, show you the way to the restaurant. And you know how it is, especially if that pastor is a little bit of a faster driver than you are, that when you're trying to follow him, you're trying to follow him, but with the, with the stress of, of, of other drivers and how other drivers are really bad drivers, it seems like a lot of the times you, 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 you can lose that person that's coming before you. But isn't it different when somebody is in the passenger seat with you and saying, you know what, here at this right turn, we'll take a right. Hey, you know what, up ahead, we'll, 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 after this stoplight, we'll, we'll take a left here. Moses, I believe, understood that there was a big difference between sending someone before him and sending someone with him. You see, Moses desired that God would be with him. He says, God, I, I pray thee, if I found grace in your sight, I, I, I want to know you. I want to know your ways. In other words, how are you going to go know God? Well, it's, it's by we being with him. He's saying, God, I, I, I can't do this on my own. I can't leave the people. You're going to have to be with me so that I can know your ways and so that I can know who you are so that you can guide me. Haven't, you, haven't I find grace in your sight? Don't you know me my name? God, I need someone with me. I need your presence. He says, God... Remember, this isn't my idea. God, remember that this is your people. It's not my people. God, remember that this is your journey. You've called me to be the leader of this, this, uh, this people. You've called us out. You're the one that brought us out of Egypt. You're the one that led us across the Red Sea. You're the one, Lord, that brought us into this place. And you're the one that told us that you'd bring us into the promised land. This isn't something that I've concocted. This isn't something that I've done to put myself in this leadership. It's not what I've done to bring them out of Egypt. This is all because of you. And I can't do this without you. It's not my responsibility, Lord. This is, this is not my own uh, forceful will. This is yours. God, this is your people. In verse number 14, this is what really drawed me to this passage. God says, Moses, my presence will go, shall go with thee and I'll give thee rest. I'll give you rest. Moses, God assures Moses that his presence will indeed go with him through Moses interceding. And, and because of God's grace, he assures Moses that his presence would indeed go with him and that he would give him rest. But you know what? Moses isn't content. He's not consent that, content that God told him he'd go with him. He wants, to, wants uh, more proof. And he asks God again, says, he says, God, uh, if your presence goes not with me, don't send us God, if your presence is not going to be with me, don't, don't send us from this place. Don't send us to continue our journey. Because he understood that without God, their journey would result in failure. He understood that. I mean, Moses couldn't even imagine continuing without God's presence. I like what Douglas Stewart said. He said this, For Moses to go ahead alone in the leadership of the Israelites would surely result in mistakes, losses and failures of various kinds, not the least being the likelihood of military defeat of the Israelites at the hand of their enemies. So again, Moses emphasizes how essential God's presence was to the entire remaining Exodus enterprise. Because Moses understood that what distinguished him and what distinguished the people that God had, had led was not who they were, was because of who they had with God's presence. Look at the verse here. 
He says, for, he says, verse number 15, and he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence, for wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. I mean, Moses understood that what distinguished them and, and him and the people of Israel was, was what made them special from all the other nations. Wasn't who they were, what they possessed, but instead it was because God was with them. He understood that. Stewart also said this, he said, they didn't have within themselves any particular intrinsic characteristics to distinguish them. God's distinction was what they received derivatively, but did not possess innately. In other words, nothing that they had was special is because God was with them that made them special. And Moses is saying, God, if you're going to send us, if you're going to send us out, don't send us without your presence, because without you being with us, we are no different than the nations around here. We're no different. We're not special. In verse number 17, God grants Moses' request again. He says, And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. God says, Moses, I'll do exactly what you prayed for. I'll grant your request. One man said it was a full restoration of the original idea of God's promise to bring the Israelites out of Egypt and into the promised land personally. Moses' prayerful appeal had been successful. His playing before God was a success. God had said that he would renew his presence with the nation and he would renew his presence with Moses. Not because Moses was anything special. He wasn't. Yes, he was a friend of God and he had an intimate relationship with God. But the reason why God granted Moses' request is because who God is. Not because of who Moses was, but because God's nature is good, merciful, and gracious. And Moses understood that. He understood it. Come, uh, stay with me, y'all. I hope it's been clear so far. I'm building something here. I hope it'll be a blessing. Stay with me. In verses number 18, as if God saying twice, Moses, I'll go with you. I'll grant your request. Moses still isn't satisfied. And now he wants a confirmation of God's presence. And he says, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Lord, show me your glory. Moses asks to see God's glory. Why? I mean, hadn't Moses already seen God's glory in the past on Mount Sinai in the fiery bush? Yes, but Moses wanted to see it again because he understood. He wanted, he wanted a confirmation and assurance from God that just as God had been with him in the past, in the fiery bush and, 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 and before Pharaoh and leading them out of Egypt, just as God, as he's seen God's glory in the past, Moses wanted the same affirmation, the same assurance that as they were to continue, he would still see God's glory, that God would still be with them the same way he was in the past. 
He wanted to see God's glory. And God tells Moses, Moses, I'll, I'll let you see my goodness, but you won't see my face. I like what man, one man said. He said this, the gap between the finite and the infinite is too great. Moses, yes, he was a friend of God. And yes, he had an intimate relationship with God. But because God is so holy and he's so wonderful and he's so mighty and he's mercy, merciful and he's gracious. Moses, even though he was friends with God, couldn't see God because to see God and live, uh, to see God's face, he would die. Because he's still a sinful man. He's still sinful. But, Moses, but God says, Moses, I'm going to let you see my goodness. And as I pass by, I'm going to declare my name. And I'm going to be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. And I'll be merciful to whom I'll be merciful. merciful. And in other words, God's going to let Moses see a glimpse of his splendor. To see a, a glimpse of his nature. Stewart said, God would show Moses things that would convince him of God's presence. Yet would stop short of actually letting Moses see him. God says, Moses, I'll tell you where to stand. I'll put you in the cliff of the rock. I'll put my hand over you as I pass by. But you won't see me, Moses. You won't see my face. In fact, you'll just see my back parts. In other words, Moses was able to see, would be able to see God's glory that came after his presence passed by. But friends, what are we supposed to get from this chapter? I mean, the question that comes to my mind is this. Why was Moses so persistent in interceding on behalf of Israel for God's presence? I mean, he was so persistent. He asked over and over and over again, God, go with us. God, give us your presence. God, don't send me if you won't go with us, Lord. Don't send us up. Why was Moses so uh, uh, persistent in asking for God's presence over and over and over? And why did he want a confirmation in seeing God's glory? Well, I believe the reason that, that Moses wanted a confirmation, why he, he interceded on behalf of Israel over and over again, because he understood that even though Israel sinned, that God was still gracious. And for them to continue on their journey would result in failure if God wasn't with them. He knew the Israelites had sinned. He knew that their, the wickedness, I mean, he called it a great sin in, in, in chapter 32, verse 20. He knew that, and he's not asking God to sweep it under the rug, and he's not asking God to overlook it. He knows that God's going to have to deal with it, and that he's, gonna, that he's a righteous God, and he's a perfect ju judge. He understood that, but he also understood that even though Israel had sinned, he understood that God was gracious, and God was merciful, and he knew who God was because he spent time with God in an intimate way, and knew who God was, and walked in his ways, and learned who he was, he, he understood that yes, Israel had sinned, but my goodness, God is still gracious. And just maybe if I intercede, and just maybe if I ask over and over again, maybe God will restore his presence to us. He understood, he sought after God's presence because he understood that, that God was gracious. And that God was merciful. But he also understood this. That for them to continue on their presence without, the, on their journey without God's presence right. would lead to failure. Right. He understood that. 
He understood, God, if we're going to continue without your presence, we're going to fail. Just like we failed just a few days ago when you were up in Mount Sinai. I understand, Lord, that if I continue on, if I leave these people without your help, without your guidance, without your direction, without your, your care, uh, taking care of us, Lord, I know that if we're left to ourselves to guide our own selves, we're going to end in failure. Why? Because man left to himself self-destructs. We do. My goodness, I think each and every one of us would know that when we're not walking with God and we reject God's word and we reject who God is and we begin to do what we want to do, it usually ends in failure. If not usually, it always ends in failure. And Moses understood this. He understood that, man, if, if we're going to continue, I need God's presence. We need God's presence. We need his direction. We need his help. Friends, isn't it the same for us? We're on this journey called life. We're on a journey called life. And even though we sin, we know we're going to sin. We know we're going to fail. We know we're going to reject God. We know we're going to break his law. We know that we're going to, uh, just like the nation of Israel did when they built a, a golden calf, we also will build idols in our life and, we, we, and, and we'll reject God and we'll fail. But we know that but, but we also know that we serve a gracious and holy and merciful God that knows that even though we fail and even though we sin, we sin, yes, his presence is removed from us. That doesn't mean we're not saved because the Holy Spirit's always within us, but his direction and his guidance is removed from us because we've rejected it. We rejected God's word. But we also know that even though we've sinned, that God is still accessible. And at any moment, at any time, we can bow before God and say, God, I've sinned. God, I've failed you. God, I've rejected you. And we can mourn and say, Lord, I, I repent of my sin. And I and I turn from those wicked ways. And God, I realize that you're gracious and you're merciful. And if you will, please restore your presence to me. But also, God, I know that if I'll go, if I'll continue on this journey without you, I'll mess it up. I'll mess it up, God. I'll mess it up. Because left to myself, I'll self-destruct. Say, what is God's presence? What's well, his guidance? It's his protection. It's his, it's, it's, his, it's his word guiding us. It's his provision for us. And without God's presence, I won't have a guide. And what I'll have to do is this. Trust my own heart. And trust who I, who I am. And we've already established that without God, we're nothing. I mean, we're nothing we can do nothing. Our, our righteousness are as filthy rags. I mean, without God, we can do nothing. And without God's presence and guidance in our life, we'll fail. But when God's presence and his direction and his guidance is in my life, I get my guidance from above. And I won't have to worry about if this guidance is right or not. Because God has my best intention in mind. But also, friend, relying on God's instruction and guidance and presence takes away the pressures of the journey. And he gives rest. We were a few weeks ago with Brother Ryan Wrench in Temecula, California, presenting there at the church. And 
We were going to present the Sunday before the pastoral transition where Brother Bill Wrench would step down and Brother Ryan would take over as pastor at Calvary Baptist Church. I was talking with Brother Ryan, asking him, how, how do you feel about all this? How do you feel about this pastoral transition, transition that's going to happen next week? How do you feel about this? And this is what he said. He said, I knew that God is in this, in, in this whole thing. And because of that, there's comfort and there's rest. Because he didn't force his way into this. It wasn't him concocting this plan to take over the church or to be the next pastor. He said it was all God. And because of that, it gave him complete peace. My family and I, Lord willing, be stepping on a plane to go to the Philippines. I'm excited. I'm excited. But I'm scared. Be transparent with you. I'm scared. I know it's going to be difficult. I know it's going to be stressful. It already has been with just the visas alone. It's been stressful. Saying goodbye to family is going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. I'm not saying this so you have pity on me. I'm just giving you what I, how I feel. But even though I know it's going to be difficult and it's going to be stressful and it's going to be scary, I can stand here before you and say, you know what? There's complete rest and there's complete peace because I'm not the one who called myself to go to the Philippines. I'm not it. I'm not the one that has formed this plan for my family's life. This is the calling that God has on my family's life. And because of that, I know that it's God is in control. And if I'll just stay close to him, if I'll just stay close to him, and if I'll desire his presence with me and desire, Lord, you got to show me your ways. You got to show me what to do. Because, friend, if I go to the Philippines on my own, I'll fail. I'll fail. Because I'm so weak. And if I go by myself and my own power and on my own strength thinking that I'm something special, I'll fail. I'll ruin everything. I'll mess up big. But what a comfort it is to know that even though I'm going to fail sometimes along the way, I'm going to fail, I'm going to sin, I'm going to reject God, I'm going to reject his word, and I'm going to have idols in my life. It's what a blessing and encouragement it is to know that God is still accessible. And even though I sin, I can come before him and I can ask, Lord, please forgive me. 
I've strayed. Lord, I've tried to continue this journey without you, without your guidance, without your presence. And Lord, if you'll forgive me, please restore your presence in my life. Restore your direction. Restore your, your watchful care. Restore your guidance in my life. What a blessing and encouragement to know is that God will hear my prayer and he'll restore what he is. Why? Because he's gracious and he's merciful. And he'll show grace to whom, to whom he'll show grace. And he'll be merciful to whom he'll, 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 he'll show mercy to whom he'll show mercy. Not all, not all of us are called to serve as, in mission, as missionaries or pastors or full-time Christian service. But we're still called to be Christians. We still have this journey to be pleasing to God. And friends, I'm, I'm, I'm warning you tonight that if you try to do it on your own, you'll fail. You'll fail to be the father that you're supposed to be. You'll fail to be the, 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 the co-worker or the boss that you're supposed to be. You'll fail to be the parent you're supposed to be. You'll fail to be the spouse you're supposed to be. Without God's presence and his direction in your life, you'll fail. In fact, God has called us to be a light in this dark world. And without God's leadership, you'll fail to be the light you're supposed to be. You'll fail. But friend... God's gracious. God's gracious. And he's merciful. And we can continue our journey with confidence, knowing that God's presence leads us. Possessing God's presence gives confidence to continue. And he'll give you rest He'll give you peace and he'll lead you and he'll protect you and he'll guide you. Here's the key. You got to stay right with him. You got to stay right with him. You got to draw close to him. You got to seek his direction. And friends, if we'll do that, we'll succeed. We'll succeed. Is that a blessing tonight? Understand? Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you, Lord, that despite of our failures, Lord, that you're a gracious and loving Father. And yes, Lord, we'll fail, we'll sin. But Lord, we can come before you and repent and ask for forgiveness. I know, Father, that you'll hear and you'll forgive us and you'll restore your presence in our lives. I pray, Father, as we have the invitation now, if you've spoken to our hearts, that we'd come to the front and make a decision and rely, Lord, and know that you'll be with us, you'll help us as we continue on this journey of life. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. I pray you bless now in Jesus' name.